0: what's up everybody and welcome to the apartment 113 podcast where we talk with cool folks in the cannabis and psychedelics industry to learn about their projects and celebrate their successes my name is rob sanchez and this is episode 22 we're joined today by bill white Bill is in business development for Xylem Technologies, The Blink Group, and Bespoke Packaging. Xylem Tech makes automated cartridge filling systems and other products to automate and improve the cannabis manufacturing space. The Blink Group provides cannabis vaping hardware and parts with a focus on innovation, quality, and safety. Bespoke Packaging creates CPG packaging for high-end products that can be completely customized to suit your needs. Bill has a good perspective on the industry and is a one-stop shop for manufacturing needs when it comes to automation, hardware supplies, and packaging. Look for links in the notes and enjoy the show. Bill, man, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, thanks, Rob. Great to be here. I appreciate the invitation.
0: Hey, yeah, it's definitely going to be good to dig into it and uh, kind of hear about your projects and... And uh, yeah. talk shop, man. We've we've crossed paths a few times in these conferences, but maybe never properly to have a, a long conversation.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. It's it's been really fun and uh and like you said, you know, the couple of times that our paths crossed at some of those uh trade shows, it's kind of weird to think, you know, five, ten years ago, uh who would have thought we were at, you know, doing business around uh around cannabis and enjoying it.
0: Yes, right. It's a it's come a long way from having to do that maybe more secretly with some coded coded text messages, right? <laughs> right, right. 100%, 100%. Instead of meeting up there for the for the Emerald Cup in Santa Rosa, definitely a a great experience to see the industry turn out and have some some wonderful home uh home and outdoor grown flower. Yeah,
1: no doubt. I couldn't believe my good fortune. I think it was like uh 5 jars for 100 bucks of really the most amazing craft sun-grown flower I've ever had in my life. I, had, I think I got a little bit left, but uh, not much.
0: Sitting nice and nice and pretty for a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah, dude, I really, it was a good experience there. And I, I wish I could consume more to try more. There was, felt like there was just so much to potentially consume or smell and hear the stories behind.
1: Oh yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, it, um, it was, my, it was my first and only Emerald Cup, candidly, so far, but it kind of exceeded my expectations in terms of, you know, I've been up for Hall of Flowers and stuff in Santa Rosa and up in Humboldt and Emerald Triangle area for business, of course, but going to something like that that's so celebrated, that's so long-running, and really getting to talk to the people that have their hands on it, that are doing it, it was um, super enlightening, and um, it was it was a really, really cool experience. I mean the cradle of uh, cannabis for, you know, the U.S. at least, right? So oh,
0: it was yeah, pretty man. pretty humbling. That, it's just the best environmental factors right there. And folks figured it out quick, and they've been out there in the woods growing ever since, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. So was Emerald Cup your first? Uh, you mentioned it was your first Emerald Cup, but it wasn't your first conference. I know you were down at MJ BizCon last year, and I'm kind of making it around. I think you said you were down at uh, BizCon and making some other trade show routes. I know mm-hmm. we, I know we went to a little after party at BizCon this last year as well. Yeah, yeah, that was
1: that was a good one. Yeah, MJ BizCon. A couple of the clients that I represent and develop business for Xylem Robotics specifically has a pretty aggressive trade show schedule. So, um, of course, MJ BizCon sort of being the the crown jewel in terms of the the biggest show of the year and drawing a ton of people from all over the world. Um, and really kind of, you know, the Xylem stuff is more, you know, supply chain. It's, it's automation and basically the robotic machines that fill and cap vape carts. So it fits in with all of those huge halls in BizCon you see of, you know, lights and commercial level grinders and pre-roll fillers and all that type of stuff. So it's not really like the super, you know, exciting and fun side of cannabis in terms of the branding element, but... Yeah, you know, we've been uh, going to a lot of these uh, trade shows, and to your point, like we had a good time hanging out at the, uh, was it the um, the 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 kingpin suite or which one was that exactly?
0: Yeah, man, at the that kingpin suite after party was great, and there anyway, was a uh...
1: those after parties tend to be really the. The, the most productive of, of all sort of trade show endeavors in my experience, like <laughs> being able to get in and hang out with your peers and, and colleagues and potential customers and even, you know, potential employers or, or clients, and really just kind of be able to talk shop, but even less talk shop, get to know one another, obviously, you know, cannabis is such a, a social thing and it's so fun to be able to go to an actual, you know, meeting, develop business, get new clients and develop new relationships down the line. And while you're, you know, having a couple of J's instead of, uh, instead of something else.
0: Yes. Um, I think when it comes to trade shows, there's something I tell many folks and that's when you're driving up or when you're pulling up in the Uber and you see the smoking circle outside the trade show that, that can often indicate how, how that show is going to go, you can sort of tell where <laughs> where you're walking in and what you're gonna what you're gonna get up to.
1: <laughs> yeah, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. It's it's really funny in that respect. All of the different ones that that I've been able to go to, um, whether it's MJ Bizcon, it's gigantic with you know all the machinery and supply chain stuff and lighting and packaging, and the list goes on. And then going to like say the early days of Hall of Flowers, where it was really highly curated, specifically brands and buyers, and that was it and then as we you know referenced earlier emerald cup not that it's a trade show but just seeing the different sort of uh you know overall vibe and and collection of of attendees and exhibitors it is really interesting and i think the common aspect of all those things is how valuable the um sort of after party or at least networking events that happen after the formal show closes i've had you know such great experience in developing new relationships, you know friendships, clients, customers, etc. Um, just from being able to go to, you know, uh, a trade show to the cannabis and specifically to the cannabis industry and be able to, you know, pass a blunt or a join around. Um, we did one in Boston with a big suite at Fenway Park, and I'm not even a baseball fan, but you can tell sort of the reverence that everyone in that city's got for Fenway and the park <laughs> itself, and the opportunity it, to like go up there and burn one in the in the in the stands like it was kind of a cool moment to be able to see that
0: yeah man as the as the society comes around there's going to be a lot of those areas where starting to cross cannabis with these regular endeavors or these like significant venues like Fenway or you know historical mm-hmm. places is is definitely unreal to think about it yeah you know, just no, a few years back <laughs> totally totally so, wild and on the xylem side, man, the the automated piece of of the cannabis industry is no small no small industry. I mean, it takes a it takes like a quite a lineup of equipment, uh, a good a good team, and some software to really churn out the volume that these dispensaries are selling. You know, we often we just hear about the revenue numbers, you know, what every state's doing, but thinking about all those SKUs being made, and you know, hundreds or thousands of pre rolls being made at the same time is just a it's a a problem at scale man how many pre-rolls can those machines create at once
1: well there 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 are three three main machines right now that uh, xylem has commercialized the first one is a vape cart filling and capping system whereas i'm sure you've been in a lab and seen you know people filling vape carts they might have you know a hot shot or a thompson duke or atg pharma but at the end of the day most of these machines or systems require a pretty tedious manual uh Intensive process where the techs are using trays where the cards need to be lined, lined up in a tray, and then they, you know, are either filling these things by hand or they're filling them in mass with this system. And then also there's a capping process. So not only is it manual and tedious, it requires a lot of people. It's prone to more error and it's prone to more leakage because a lot of times this the vape carts aren't being capped right away, and so they're missing the sort of wicking process that creates the vacuum seal. So with the xylem system, yeah, yeah, the xylem system basically detect drops a bunch of empty carts in one hopper, the mouthpieces for those carts in another hopper. There's a two liter reservoir, stainless steel, hermetically sealed tank. So it doesn't burn off the terpenes, set the temperature at the right temperature setting. So you're not denaturing the terpenes for live resin or live rosin, whatever material. So it's filling it at the coolest point possible, but it's also heating the carts before the oil goes in. And then it's most crucially capping it like within seconds of the, of the cart being filled. So it's like less than 1% failure rate in terms of leakage. And to contrast, like the output is like 1500 an hour filled and capped. You can count on sort of, you know, 10,000 vape carts filled and capped in an eight hour shift with one operator. So, you know, you can already tell the scale that that thing puts out, you know, that, that level of production would require a room full of people doing things very manually and um, so to your point, you know, automation is, is the future. It's happened in every other industry. It just so happens we're in a startup industry where, you know, companies are bringing automation to the fore. Um, you know, you're mentioning the pre-roll infusion machine that Xylem's got. It will put basically um, 40 infused pre-rolls out every two minutes with one tech operating it. And another system that is under R&D right now that uh, should be commercialized within the next two months was an automated diamond and sauce filler that, you know, instead of having a whole table of techs, weighing stuff out on scales, putting them in the little jars, and then squirting, you know, the, the HTE or the turf sauce over the top. Right. This thing requires a tech putting one jar on a scale every 10 seconds, it measures out the diamonds, squirts the appropriate amount of sauce, they take it off. It just really up, up levels and, and upscales the uh, the productivity for our customers.
0: Wow, yeah, just being able to, to get that consistency as well is so important for branding and to deliver the same thing again and again that a consumer expects, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. I think that's
0: where automation has some hidden some hidden value and it's very much like the cannabis industry kind of growing up and coming to the real table, you know? And mm-hmm. all these other industries have been fully automated this entire time. We're just so used to these legacy methods of, you know, Fleets of twenty, thirty people rolling pre rolls with mach- with little hand machines and things like that. Right, it's a uh, another world, man. On the on the s- scale there, with the footprint too, like could, you could put one of those machines in a single room with one operator, mm-hmm. and you know churn out what a a, a warehouse would do.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. And the cool thing is, is um, you know, a lot of people, I guess, a knee jerk response to automation is like, oh, it's taking people's jobs. Yeah, it took our jobs type of thing where it's actually not. You're basically able to redeploy staff in the lab a to get them trained up on automation, which is a really great skill and a necessary skill to have moving forward. And then also have them doing more meaningful stuff in the lab. So, you know, it can, and at the end of the day, you know, it's a, it's, it's a system that once you've moved X number of, of widgets, in this case with the Xylem X3, it's like a hundred plus grand machine. But if you can move the volume, it puts out a pace for itself. and, Six to eight weeks. So, you know, it's 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 definitely something that uh, you know companies are are moving forward to as they can afford.
0: Yeah, right. As soon as you're at that kind of peak capacity, you're churning out that volume. It just pays for itself, or it's a uh, almost yeah. an obvious uh, an obvious addition to the workforce there. <laughs> yeah, no doubt about it. Well, how how about the uh, the Blink Group? side of things how how yeah. did you get involved with the team there and uh, what kind of projects are spinning on on the blink group's plate for 23
1: yeah so blink group is a really cool company they're headquartered out of new york and they've got a, a full team over in china and essentially doing everything hardware vape hardware related um the ceo and co-founder arnaud dumas came from the e industry if i'm not mistaken uh, he sat on several European boards for vape standards, not only in the nicotine, but also the THC space. So, you know, he's been sort of a, a, a entrepreneur, an entrepreneur uh, and advocate and very deeply entwined with legislation and shaping things for the the most important aspect of it. And in his opinion, is you know, the health related and ensuring that, you know, these devices are, uh, you know, consistent and, and meet a very, very high standard. So... With the Blink Group, um, you know they do everything from you know sort of uh, standard five ten thread vape carts, half gram, full gram, any number of mouthpieces, etc., all the way into fully customized, uh, you know vape pen, pod, and battery systems, kind of running the gamut.
0: And okay, um, okay, you know, so kind of and, almost everything you'd need to run the the automated machines we were discussing earlier, man. Huh? It's kind of a, yeah. the the necessary materials on that side to get everything packed and. And loaded
1: right right a hundred percent the xylem system was really designed to be hardware agnostic in terms of any virtually any c cell or c cell clone 510 thread card half gram and full gram will work with that system out of the box or with very minor tweaking okay and so nice. um what that tweaking requires is like when a customer buys xylem uh a xylem system we ask for you know a few hundred pieces of each of the hardware form factors that they'll be using those are sent to the um, lab in Houston, where the engineers at Xylem measure those for variances and tolerances, and just ensure that the system is optimized for that particular cart or hardware. Oh, nice. A lot of the, nice. Yeah, nice. a lot of the companies that will purchase Xylem are are white labelers that are filling carts for multiple brands, and not every brand is going to have the exact same hardware or form factor. So, Blink is a company that um, you know creates very high end uh, carts across all sort of price points and spectrums, but we've partnered with them quite a bit where due to the fact that a lot of our clients are using Blink hardware and the system's optimized and you know we have a million sort of customer referrals, if you will, as far as people using Blink hardware seamlessly with Xylem, as we do with other companies, you know across the spectrum for hardware, but it's been a really cool synergy. And in terms of what does Blink have on on the horizon, it's quite a bit. Um, they've got an arm called Blink Finance where, um, you know, one of the hardest things for cannabis companies to come by is financing or lending or terms of any kind. Blink Finance will step in, offer a very simple, uh, sort of application process where, uh, borrowers can borrow up to five months on a sliding scale, I believe up to about 8%. And, um, it's, it's a very quick online Application usually the underwriters are back to them within like two three hours, and then at that point they can push the button on a web portal. They've you know already when they onboard they're tying in their uh, bank account info by a PLAT. It's all encrypted, but it's a way where cannabis companies can secure financing or terms very very quickly very easily. And so Blink Finance offers that. They're also one of the first of their kind to offer what they call a vendor managed inventory where let's say you're a large co-packer and you have, you know, 300,000 vape carts a month coming in, but you're anticipating uh, bringing in a, a couple of new clients or some new promotions, but you don't have the physical warehouse space. What Blink will do is they will basically house your inventory within generally a one and a half to two hour driving radius and basically house it offsite. So when you see that your stuff is running low, you're not scrambling and ordering something from China and dealing with whatever the issue of the day is going on. If it's supply chain or it's air freight or whatever's going on, you basically just order your inventory. It gets there gets there within a couple of hours, and you know, Blink can sort of help manage your supply chain and manage your inventory and keep those costs down from having to buy new, stuff, you know, uh, okay. office space, if you will. So yeah, they've got right. some really creative services overall
0: awesome man yeah just kind of helping to provide that that seamless uh kind of nature that that the cannabis industry needs to keep the manufacturing pipeline full right keep that funnel fed
1: yeah a hundred percent
0: and yeah and keeping uh just warehouse and locate or storage space is just a problem in and of itself in cannabis with cultivation taking up so much space and maybe some prime storage locations and then needing to store everything else involved for the the process man i can imagine that uh, the service would come in handy especially in some like major metro areas or cities where um, space may be at a premium
1: yeah no absolutely and you know some of the stuff is delicate and needs to be stored properly you don't want to pay up for a bunch of high end packaging and have it all dinged up because it was sitting you know somewhere crammed in your in your facility so yeah
0: right it does sacrificing quality just to store it somewhere <laughs> sure <laughs> Right, on the packaging side too, it's kind of seems like your involvement with some of these companies is following the the uh, trail, the paper trail here towards the f- <laughs> the finished goods, man. Because we started with the automation and machines, and then mm-hmm. we get to the hardware and some of the storage and financial aspects of the Blink Group. But mm-hmm. how about now the bespoke packaging angle and um, your work with that side of uh, the industry? I know packaging is yeah. uh, is often like makes or breaks a brand. You know, some brands may leave yeah. it very vanilla and go simple and others try to go, go all out. Right. And really make something right. unique.
1: <laughs> no, it, it, it is. It is really an interesting space. And a guy that I met like five, six years ago um, when I was actually doing outreach, trying to get into the cannabis industry. And um, he invited me to sit down, grab some coffee. And, and so he basically gave me an intro to the the packaging realm as it relates to cannabis. And um, a few years later, I started working officially developing business, but the company is Bespoke Packaging. It's bespokepkg.com. And uh, essentially it's a company with manufacturing operations in China that initially started out as like, a, a I believe L'Oreal certified uh, packaging company that was working in cosmetics and consumer products, uh, alcohol and beverage, uh, high-end CPG-like, uh, Louis Vuitton, Noy, Hennessy Group, and stuff like that. And they started building out their cannabis verticals. So, um, yeah, I was fortunate to get to get in with them. And and it really kind of ties all three of these uh, clients of mine together, Bespoke Xylem and and uh, Blink, in terms of, like you said, starting out with the raw goods, filling them, and then throwing them into the finished goods. And um, packaging is like a hyper, hyper competitive side of the industry. Um it's difficult to sort of suss through who you're dealing with in terms of, you know, who might be a broker who's trying to to pad margins, but ultimately, uh, you know, to your point, packaging can make or break a brand, and I think those that come through with really innovative, cool stuff—it doesn't even have to be super fancy or high tech—but it does help. I swear to God, like early days when I was buying vape carts and rove carts, I was just like that packaging super cool and the vape card is super cool looking. I got to have it. And, huh. you know, as it turned out, they, they had like, over. yeah, exactly. It's just like, man, look at all this stuff. So I, it's really fun, you know, um, getting with a, a customer. We did a uh, concentrate jar that basically came out of a, a square, a square box that had sort of a clamshell opening up. You would, and when you pulled it apart, this, uh, the concentrate jar raised up like, you know, the, raiders of the lost ark or something (laughs) it was really cool nice so you know coming up with with dope stuff like that and and then coming up with you know cool child resistant stuff that doesn't drive an an adult crazy opening it up you know it's it's really fun and it's an interesting part of the industry and it's it's a whole other sales cycle and touch points and everything it's 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 quite interesting
0: right different different customers that are you know talking packaging i imagine and those that are ready to Just set up their manufacturing facility. You know, their their businesses Mm. are in a different stage too.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's been really the fun part about working with all these different companies on the ancillary or supply chain side of things, is I'm not restricted to just selling in California. It's really any market that wants to buy it. And when we start going to these different markets, whether it's Arizona or Illinois or Michigan or Jersey or mass or new york city vegas you name it you're seeing all these different markets in various stages of maturing and you're kind of seeing the commonalities of where they may or may not have looked at how we did in these uh you know older legal states whether it's colorado oregon california and seemingly learning from our mistakes and then also coming up with some really innovative cool ideas so and, and then also, you know, going into some of these trade shows, you know, we went to uh, Nikan in Boston, probably the first or second year that it was happening. And, you know, it was cool to be there and represent and, and meet people. But people were literally just barely getting their licenses to cultivate. Like the idea of having, you know, extraction was two, three years off. But lo and behold, you know, two, three years later, they're doing it. They've, they've got their foothold in the market. And uh, it's been really fun to watch, you know, some of these different, uh, some of these different areas come online and see how they're dealing with things.
0: Yeah, I can imagine seeing that that regional lens, especially on the conference circuit, you get a chance to see like that different, the different localities or state approaches, you know, coming up with their innovative solutions and sometimes their innovative mistakes mm-hmm. um, <laughs> across the board. Yeah. I think that uh, seeing those early states, you know, from the seed stage all the way out to when the businesses are really flowing and you know they start merging and acquiring others, it's a, yeah, it's, it's a like a little microcosm of of the economy of capitalism in general. Man, it's it's uh, yeah, very unique to see that like kind of happening in, within the borders of the state and then everyone's watching right thinking okay, yeah how do, how do we do that better where were the missteps <laughs> yeah
1: yeah i mean even add on top of that since there's no legal way to transport distillate across you know state lines there or or any aspect of of the raw materials there's a whole different market and ecosystem in every state which you know I, i'm overstating the obvious but it's interesting when, you know, dissolute for a kilo in California was, you know, as low as a grand or even less. And at the same time, in Illinois, it would be 17 and in Michigan <laughs> would be 14. And when you look at, like, the impact that makes on the sale of a half gram or a full gram cart, it's bananas. And then, um, you know, even, you know, the legalities and how they predicate taxes in different states is crazy. I just learned going out to Chicago um, this last time around a few months ago, a couple months ago, that um, retail taxes are predicated upon THC content. And so, like, concentrates, vapes, and gummies out of the gates are taxed at a much, much higher rate. So, you know, most of the people in the Chicago metro market that I talk to, you know, they're looking at the vape cart machine and looking at the hardware. And they're just like, yeah, no, we just drive, you know, an hour to the border. We can get 10, one gram carts for 10 bucks a piece. A one gram cart with taxes in Chicago is like a buck 10, a buck 20. And so it's, it's interesting to see these weird tax things and these different laws and basically what that's prompting people to do. And one thing I was encouraged about, like Minnesota just, I think became the 23rd state to go adult use, uh, legal. Yeah. And from what I understand they are uh, floating the idea of having infused beverages for sale at state liquor stores or at least where where liquor in liquor stores that are licensed or something right but I to could... me it's like that's that's what it's gonna re- I think that's what it's going to take is the accessibility for people to be able to make that choice as opposed to go to the liquor store and then be like do I want to drive across town and pay 13 14 bucks for a 10 milligram? per, you know, beverage, I think if it's right there in a liquor store, at least it, it helps the beverage side of things, uh, spin up a bit.
0: Yeah, man, the beverage, the beverage cannabis side is, is pretty, pretty unique. I think it I can see the value of, you know, sipping a cannabis beverage and and hanging out, but I, at, at the same time I could play devil's advocate and I think I could argue that it's, uh, it feels frivolous or extra, but I think, uh, I gotta remember that not all consumers are coming from the same background or the same mindset. Mm-hmm. And for folks new to cannabis, I think a beverage is like gateway. It's an entry level product to just give it a try, right? Just sip on this mm-hmm. drink, and you'll start to get the effects um, kind of slowly, right, through the edible um, biochemical pathways. Instead of just ingesting it or you know taking a huge dab and just getting rocked off your mm-hmm. <laughs> off your feet. Yeah. So I think the beverages, uh, the market has only just begun and we're going to see that really boom as, as different states start to figure that out and breweries kind of tap into how to, how to play in that space too. Or we see more of like tap rooms, you know, ability to sample things. I think that yeah. the, the connoisseurship angle that could come with brev- beverages, um, would be great, man. Like some of these cocktail, um, uh, artists, basically, you know, making an old fashioned like you'd never believe, you know, I'd love to see some of those cats making things with cannabis concentrates or tea, certain terpenes, you know? Yeah,
1: no, that would be amazing. And I mean, I think that once there's some sort of, you know, proper mixology aspect to things and it tastes good, yeah. people will immediately wake up to the <laughs> fact that it's way less caloric and you feel fine the next day
0: certain smells like, are so great man from the the cocktail perspective with aromatics and things like that mm-hmm. you think you think that the terpenes could play in beautifully for a from a mixologist perspective you know making a foam oh, yeah. of a foam of terpenaline and uh, <laughs> i don't know whatever <laughs> yeah. kind of weird uh uh weird things they can make little pearls of a uh, of limonene flavored concentrate or something yeah yeah that could be Call legit to-
1: Call it the sanchez
0: <laughs> all right you guys you guys heard it here <laughs> yeah I got a uh, at one point I was implementing software for a place that was doing some experimentation in um like single terpenes and they made a vape cartridge for me with with only carry filing in it and oh, it was wow. it was kind of a weird ex- um a weird experience it it didn't really have any high or anything it was more of like therapeutic I guess or aromatic. Mm-hmm. You could just get the flavor of that, like a really strong, nice flavor of the of the chirp.
1: Yeah, like, yeah. So I mean carophyllin, what what does that impart? Does it calm focus what's it supposed to be?
0: Yeah, it's definitely on the calmer side, a little more like a little more sedative and kind of like a like a peppery earthy mm-hmm. kind of flavor. But they were, I think they were extracting the individual ones to actually add them back and like make their own flavor combinations or, or Mm -hmm. juice up some that may be lacking. Um, Yeah. It was just kind of a weird one to, to try them by themselves. But I keep telling people, man, I would, I would try like gum or something candy if it was all terpene flavored. I think that's still the last, the last frontier for cannabis.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no doubt. Like those, those hash chews, I'm sure you've had those things before. Yes, They're pretty amazing. Yeah. They're pretty amazing.
0: <laughs> yeah, I was talking with this guy that does emulsions. So he t- his company, Vertosa, um, takes cannabis concentrate in the oil form and runs it through this emulsification process that lets it become water-soluble so that you can easily add it to all kinds of liquids. And he was saying that wow. gum is particularly difficult because once you start chewing it, like the flavor is harder to, to keep in the gum. Huh. Uh, there's a whole f- a whole realm of food science back there that I'm not <laughs> I am not uh, aware of.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. The the terpene and flavor houses are doing some really interesting alchemy.
0: Yes, indeed. And I think the the terpenes man are really good kind of um, kind of a handholds or a, a guiding rope to get through the industry. And um, speaking of industry, man, let me grab a cannabis delivery real quick. Yeah. Hey Thanks for waiting, man. Just grabbing some some concentrates. Got some uh, <laughs> some garlic butter, live resin sugar, and some grateful cam uh, live uh-huh. resin sugar. So it should be some tasty concentrates for the week. Yeah,
1: sounds like sounds like a good mix.
0: Yeah, I've been on have I've I've been stuck on the puffco still, man. Since we last met, it's been my mm-hmm. go to my daily driver, dude. What's your yeah. <laughs> What's your daily your daily piece or your preferred Uh, consumption method at this point
1: um at the moment like i've been really big on flour and tracking down the stuff that i really like and experimenting or exploring with other stuff but um pretty much really enjoyed skinning up skinning up a, a nice joint and uh relaxing that's that's been my preferred mode i've got a bunch of concentrates i just really haven't dug into them recently so we'll see but interesting thing is i did have or still do a little bit left of um motor breath hash from papa and barkley from like two years ago and it's been stored properly and i enjoyed some of that over the weekend and it was it's still amazing so still
0: packed of a flavor
1: it's still packed plenty of flavor and smelled tasted great it was just a, it was amazing but but yeah big on flour and and specifically like there's um the African landre sativas and even more specifically than that red Congolese, which is really difficult to find, um, for a period of time, gold leaf, uh, or gold seal rather, I think in California had it. And, uh, for now it seems like house of Congo has rebranded to, or Congo club rebranded to house of Congo. And, um, that's the real deal from a guy named Congo, Chris in NorCal. And it's this, um, it's cool. They're doing a little bit of education behind it as well, instead of being locked into the sativa versus indica tropes. They're you know calling these you know equatorial sativa hybrids or what have you, and really kind of dr- drilling down on the region and the terroir and all that stuff behind it. But oh, beautiful. bottom line, super super high in THCV smokes really nicely, and um, so that's definitely been that's definitely been the jam at our house every night.
0: Yeah, cannot go wrong with some some quality grown flower some flower that's been treated with love from the whole way through. Yeah. Right?
1: <laughs> exactly, exactly. You can see it. <laughs> and once you
0: once you find one of those strains, you mentioned the Red Congolese, I don't I don't think that's one that I've tried ex- like by itself. Maybe I've had it in in crosses or had had something related there, but once you find one of those strains that speaks to you, man, it's like uh you're stuck on it. You don't, you don't forget that feeling or that smell. I think everyone has that one, that one cultivar that is in their heart. Yeah.
1: Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, growing up in like junior high and high school, I was in Fresno, California, central Cal. So we were really lucky to, you know, get really good NorCal herb from time to time. You're lucky, dude. Yeah. it, It was amazing. I mean, uh, that was my first experience with a hot knife was, uh, uh, with, uh, with some buddies of mine from high school and it was some insane, sticky green Humboldt weed. And, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was pretty amazing. It was, it was a fun time growing up and I, I yeah, wouldn't, tra- that's like I, I living
0: would... in a, living a little <laughs> heaven right there. I think the cannabis yeah. we were getting in the high school days was like, you know, across the Mexican border, like some like <laughs> packed in a bag. It was awful.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Ditch weed. Yeah. But you know what? Didn't matter what it was. We started sourcing like Wednesday nights. So you knew that Friday, you're everyone was set.
0: Yes, sir. Right, man. And <laughs> I think the, the way it worked often in Kansas is before the before it even got there, it was gone, you know, like a yeah. lot of it would start to be pre pre sold. Some of these facilitators were getting creative with their pre orders. <laughs> oh, man. there's <laughs> uh, a yeah, long way across uh, the country. You get to get out to Kansas.
1: <laughs> yeah, no doubt. No doubt. That's
0: funny. For me, I think that cultivar is Ultrasonia. It's a, uh, it's a, a UK cheese and tang tang cross that has just like a very like fruity, like really fruit forward nose that mm-hmm. once, you, once you get past that initial burst of like kind of Kool-Aid, it just has like a deep cheesy funk underneath it. You know, that kind of like. Interesting. That kind of like armpit cheese smell. I can't explain yeah. why it's so good. <laughs> You're really selling it wrong. <laughs> Yeah, right. You, you can't wait to try this strain. <laughs> it's like cherry Kool-Aid maybe with like a really strong garlic undertone in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's um, yeah. when I first smelled it, man, the way I can describe it is like being a cartoon character, like smelling pie on the windowsill and like your feet yeah. f- fly up behind you and like you fly over to the to the pie. Like, oh,
1: yeah. Yeah, exactly. Don't mind if I yeah. do. What's
0: this delicious aroma?
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> sounds magical where do, i have, i don't think i've ever heard of that do you have a, a regular go-to you can find
0: unfortunately i do not man it's from grindhouse seeds i think that the seeds are still available so one of these days i need to get some seeds on hand and and get a cut going my on uh you know of my own it was not prevalent in colorado for a little while there was an ultra sonia and a red sonia but the THC percentage was a little on the low side. It was very terp-heavy, but kind of between 15 and 17% THC. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I think the market kind of pushed it out, unfortunately. Huh. Like the the drive for like more heavier hitters, because um, we didn't grow a whole lot of it. But yeah, yeah. she's a, a juicy lady.
1: <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a good
0: one. <laughs> <laughs> Man, any plant you spend a long time with or any aroma you really start to dig into, I think you can you can start to spin spin that narrative, right? And like kind of mm-hmm. identify those flavors or figure out what's unique about them.
1: Yeah, yeah. I find that stuff fascinating. Obviously, you've, you've done the deepest dives possible on that. Um, but I, I, I think it's fascinating to look at sort of the, the genetics and the crossing and the aromatics that can come out of that. And uh, just, uh, it's amazing. And I think there's a, I think it's a long way to go too. I think we're going to see some cool shit.
0: Yeah, dude. who knows what we'll be smoking on in, uh, in 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> or if it's even smoking at all, man, it'll be like an inhaler or it's like, like yeah. a little mint or something. You just t- take it.
1: <laughs> yeah, I just want to plug it into the little jack in the back of my skull and, and get on with my business.
0: <laughs> it just keeps you, keeps you at a, a set level. <laughs> yeah,
1: no doubt, no doubt.
0: Actually, at but, the psychedelics uh, conference, there was a... Um, uh, there was a Benzinga psychedelics like investor conference in Florida, and mm-hmm. uh, there was a unique device there that someone was looking for a patent or or looking to sell that would do like um, psychedelic assisted therapy similar to like diabetes medicine, and it would kind of mm-hmm. attach to you, like attach to you and kind of uh, uh, apply the medicine intravenously. While monitoring the levels to like uh, to ride people through or to to administer it in kind of a, a safe way, so people can't over overdose or get a little too wild one night on on psilocybin yeah. or ketamine or something.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's wild. That's wild. You know, in before getting into cannabis, I was in tech and then med device, and I actually worked oh. with a big company called Dexcom that makes that blood glucose monitor you're talking about. And I never okay, even thought yeah. about the implications of that with respect to, you know, uh, psychedelic, uh, you know, delivery systems and monitoring it. So, you know, obviously mm-hmm. we've all got different metabolisms and everything affects us differently. If you had, uh, you know, custom monitoring device to monitor your levels and those things are very, I mean, they are invasive, obviously they stick in onto your arm, but
0: yeah, it's, there's it's a not, reason why you have it deal. at that point. And it's, uh, yeah. The benefit is that you get that consistent dosing or that consistent kind of support that, that might be interesting for more therapeutic approaches in, the, in cannabis and psychedelics. So how, how did you take that jump over from the medical device industry into cannabis? I can kind of see the, the, the correlations with some of the mm-hmm. like automation and the equipment side. Uh, but was yeah. there, a, was there a, like a catalyst or something that kind of pushed, pushed you over the line to, to jump into the cannabis side?
1: Yeah, yeah, there was. I mean, I started out my career in the in the tech industry and doing mostly executive recruiting and business development and sales, and then I moved into medical device largely because um, the big consulting firm I was working with—they're called KPMG Consulting now—they're called Bearing Point, but uh, they'd gone through like rolling waves of layoffs, and uh, when I got impacted, the last thing anyone needed was a, a technical recruiter. And I was fortunate to land with, like, this medical device company um, as their in-house recruitment manager. And it's this German company called Karlstorz Endoscopy. And they did mm. electrosurgical equipment and specifically, like, endoscopy and minimally invasive surgical instruments and all the image-guided surgical systems. So I was stoked to, to have a job in a really cool industry, but I didn't realize how rewarding it would be to work in an industry that when you're driving home every day, you're like, somehow my efforts are going towards – Helping someone's you know, mother, father, sister, uncle, aunt, whatever, and not to be all you know kumbaya and altruistic, but it did have a good feeling to it. But I was also a for cannabis sure. user for since sure. like eighth grade, um, and always wanted to do something in cannabis. And then, of course, you know, being out here for the last twenty five years, seeing the early days and and getting my you know doctor's uh, recommendation, and then seeing the evolution of products happening in dispensaries from you know, homemade baked goods to all of a sudden Kiva bars with perfect wrapping and cartons and all this other stuff. And I just remember thinking like, man, I'd love to get into cannabis, but I couldn't wrap my head around like, what does that mean? Do I cultivate? Do I work in a dispensary? It was really kind of like tunnel vision, which is silly because, you know, I was doing executive recruiting in two different industries. And (laughs) as soon as adult use uh, and, and, and everything became legal, in California I was like holy shit I can do my I can leverage my recruiting experience and do it in an industry that really really means something to me yeah, and in yeah. my mind it was like I'm going to take these you know classically trained backgrounds from consumer products med device tech and software and bring them into this industry that's going to have to have that same talent to up level so you know it became very apparent very quickly like What can I do in cannabis? You can do whatever you're doing right now in cannabis. (laughs) Accounting, finance, quality, regulatory, legal, the list goes on. And I know that there's sort of the opposing or at least the other side of the coin where the culture feels like they're, you know, the the plant and the culture is suffering. I kind of feel like they can grow concurrently and there's a lot more opportunity than anything else. And ultimately, it's the march of time. And I feel like, um, you know, that was... I, it was the perfect way for me to be able to get into the industry. And then, as you can imagine, all you're doing all day as a recruiter is looking for the decision makers that will sign off on a 15, 20, 25% recruitment contract. And so, really, spinning up the network very quickly. And my entire career yes, has been all yeah. about networking and connecting, that's all it's ever been. Right. And so it's so, just uh, kind of
0: taking those skills and it, it wasn't really more of a retraining then, huh? More of just a refocus or really look honing in on the cannabis side.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that came with a whole other host of like realizations. You know, I was thinking, Oh, I've got all these, you know, people that I know that are med device sales reps and pharma reps and biotech reps and managers and all of that. Well, it becomes apparent immediately that those cannabis companies can't afford those people yet that have, you know, experience. And, uh, those people don't want to work in a startup. There's no benefits. There's a lot of different things. (laughs) So it became like a real challenge, but ultimately what it did was require me to sort of look like what's the, what's the right candidate, what's the right background for the cannabis industry. And it really boils down to being, you know, someone who has some sort of passion for the cannabis plant, they don't even have to be a user, but if they have some sort of you know, mission-driven idea or belief behind it, whether it's social justice reform or medical efficacy and therapeutics or what have you, but if they've got that sort of mission-driven piece, they got to have that. And then they have to um, be okay with a startup environment and just getting scrappy and figuring out how to do as much as they can with little or no resources. Yes, yeah, startups and- are not
0: for everyone, are they?
1: It's yeah, it's hard. It's hard. And you can take the most badass seasoned executive and plop him or her into a startup. And, you know, unless their heart's really in it, and they're ready to grind, like, it's just not going to happen. You don't have someone booking your travel for you. (laughs) Yeah, processing your expenses and all that stuff. So
0: I definitely like the startup vibe of the cannabis industry. It's it's so entrepreneurial, like everyone has their projects or their, mm-hmm. their business and their angle that they're getting involved in that I feel startups are uh, so prevalent right now and whether or not they're successful um, as that's the the hard part, they are always mm-hmm. fun to work in and from a startup vibe, at least in the software space, that's when you get to wear all the hats, you know, you mm-hmm. get to design the software, sometimes you're helping the developers, sometimes you're selling it or, you know, working out the pricing. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's in scale and in size where it starts to departmentalize and you need to, you need to get in line and kind of corporate, get into your corporate role and things like that, that, um, yeah. some of that fun or that innovation from a startup mentality is hard to carry over hard to yeah. keep that same, that same energy.
1: Yeah. It's pretty wild to see, to see that happening, you know, like, like we did in tech and, and certainly I saw it in med device and, And now cannabis all over the place, but it's, it's refreshing. And I love the idea that, you know, if you are willing to focus and grind and bust your ass and take pride in your work, like there's a spot for anyone in cannabis who can do that. My own brother was a career bartender for many, many years. And the pandemic kind of forced his hand to, you know, like all of a sudden one day his job was gone for the foreseeable future. And he ended up relocating up to Vegas and, three and a half years later, he's a lead cultivation guy at a big licensed facility in Vegas. He gets to deal with plants every day instead of, you know, obnoxious daily drunks that would come in and just sit there and yammer on, you know, like he's, he's reinvented himself and it's been a really hard slog and a tough road. But I just think it's amazing that, you know, this, this industry and this plant offers a way for people to to reinvent themselves and change their life.
0: Yes, right. To kind of just get involved, do what you do, but uh, mm-hmm. for a cannabis business or start your own cannabis business. And I think it's always mm-hmm. important to remember that you don't have to be the licensed operator to, to jump in and start. Uh, obviously, that's a great realm to be in if you want to become a licensed operator, but the numbers are um, are difficult there at times to either acquire the license or to maintain it or both. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no doubt about it. But I mean, I've just, it's like with anything else, you know, of figuring out what's working for you and aligning yourself with the people that you can help and that you can learn from most importantly, I think, and um, becoming or striving to become indispensable. And that's how, you know, reputations are made. And that's how people start building the blocks. And and there's just a a different ways, a million different ways you can take it in this industry, I think.
0: Hundred percent, man. I think there's a book by uh, I want to say it's Cal Newport or a quote from him. And it's called "Be So Good They Can't Ignore You." <laughs> I like it. <laughs> Where you just yeah, uh, that's good. You got to shine, man. Right, got to dig. <laughs> yep, no doubt. Well, are there any conferences on your radar here coming up soon, or what's the next event for um, the the three uh, projects or businesses that you're moving along here?
1: Yeah, there's some stuff coming up. Um, I believe the uh, the NCIA is happening in Long Beach in August, and I, I won't be with any of my clients representing there, but that historically has been a pretty good show. The next one that's going on for Xylem and Blink is going to be uh, Canicon at the end of September in Albany, New York. Uh, we did do MJ Un- Unpacked in New York this year. That was cool to see that market. Uh, see all the shenanigans going on in the bodegas and smoke shops and
0: stuff. (laughs) The New York industry is uh, a beast in and of itself.
1: (laughs) Uh, Oh my gosh, it's crazy. But uh, we're doing that. Uh, Xylem is also going to go pretty big at MJ BizCon this year. Awesome. Um, We've got the next iteration of the X3 uh, vape cart filling and capping system that will accommodate both uh, press-in and screw-in mouthpieces. As well as a couple of new tabletop units that are semi-automated for concentrates and pre-roll infusions, so that's going to be really cool.
0: Yes, and then uh,
1: yes, and just other than that, you know, trying to get out to some of these more regional conferences and get get plugged back into the um, the event circuit in Los Angeles. There used to be a, a really healthy roster, like every other week of stuff, and it seems like uh, there's sort of the next evolution of that is starting to come about. So. I'm stoked to go check those out and just, you know, stay connected with, uh, with my people
0: here. Right. Right. As we see this industry grow, man. Well, thank you for jumping on the show, Bill. Where can folks find more about you or should they direct their questions to Xylem, uh, Blink Group and Bespoke?
1: Uh, yeah, no, thank you, Rob. Like, um, yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn. It's Bill White. I think it says hardware automation and packaging right there in my, uh, my byline, but otherwise, yeah, check out xylemtech.com. He spoke pkg.com or the blink group.com. And happy to help you in any hardware packaging, automation, or uh, just hanging out and talking story like we're doing with Rob today.
0: Yeah, talk and shop. You know, next time we'll have to we'll have to get it live so we can have a smoke or two here during the, during the episode. Oh, that would be great. <laughs> be great. Thanks for hopping on, Bill. All right. Thank you, Rob. Have a See nice year. Thank you for listening to the Apartment 113 podcast. For more information about the show and our range of services, visit apt113.com. We offer cannabis operations consulting, agile product management, and connoisseurship services. With over a decade of experience in the cannabis industry, Apartment 113 is here to help.